Would you please stand for our gospel reading this morning? Found in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 66. It's a big one. 39 through 66. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to, the, to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for this time to gather and to hear your word, Lord. And God, as I speak, let it not be my words that come out of my mouth, but yours, Lord. And let it all be to your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So who's excited for the Advent season? All right. Four people. Let's go. (laughs) A huge theme and feeling that comes with the Christmas season is joy. We start to sing songs about joy. We hang decorations that say joy on it. And we even start to think, what gift can I buy my friends and family that would bring them the most joy? We get into a mindset of trying to create joy and even chase the joy and excitement that we experienced as kids opening gifts on Christmas morning. Unfortunately, this leads to a lot of us chasing material things or even certain behaviors to cultivate some type of joy in this season. 
A few years back, the host of a show called 2020 brought on a psychologist one episode to talk about some research that was done in order to find out what brings people the most joy and happiness in life. The psychologist said that the research performed showed us a lot of what we might expect because each and every one of us have experienced it in some type of way. He said that feel-good activities, which range all the way from pigging out on delicious food and going on shopping sprees on one end, all the way to drug abuse on the other, tend to bring, and everything in between, have very large but short-term effects on what people might say bring them happiness. They all had the same result, no lasting effect at all. The same goes for fame and money as well. And just think about the ads that we see for new cars, computers, and especially cell phones. We get bombarded with deals and exclusive offers to trade in last year's model to upgrade to the new and improved version for only a small fee. And last year's model, if we're being perfectly honest with ourselves, it works just fine. We don't need the new one, but we give in and we go buy the newest one so that we can chase that joy and excitement that that new product will bring. Then a month later, that excitement and joy that we were expecting of having this brand new thing has already worn off. And so then the question becomes, what actually does bring true and lasting joy? The psychologist that was brought onto the show then listed four common traits that he found in people who rated themselves as overall more happy and joyful in life. The first characteristic was being optimistic. People that displayed hopefulness and confidence about the future or the successful outcome of something were generally happier in life. The second characteristic was that they did not see themselves as a victim, meaning that they do not have the tendency to blame their own misfortunes on the deeds that others have done. And then the third characteristic was that they had close relationships. People have, who have friends and family that they can go to for celebrations, concerns, advice, or even a shoulder to cry on are people who tend to, tend to experience joy more often in life. And the last, the fourth and final most important characteristic that the psychologist pointed out was faith. They said that there is a direct correlation to joy among the people who are actively religious and have a relationship with God the researchers concluded that there is a sense of purpose which comes from faith and that leads to joy. More importantly, those who have faith realize that there is something bigger out there than just themselves. Another way you can look at that is to say that those of faith recognize the presence of that something bigger is Jesus Christ in their lives. And so when we look at Mary and Elizabeth, what do we see? we see two ordinary women with two extraordinary pr pregnancies. And in previous verses in Luke, before our passage that I read today, we see that both pregnancies were announced by an angel named Gabriel that was sent by God. And concerning Elizabeth's child in verse 15, it says that he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And then concerning Mary, the angel tells her that even though she is still a virgin, she will conceive and give birth to not just any baby, but to the son of God. They were to be mothers of men that had been prophesied about long ago, the Messiah and a man with the power and spirit of Elijah. Mary and Elizabeth were both optimistic about what God had promised them. 
They didn't see themselves as victims, even though they easily could have, with Elizabeth having to wait so long into old age to finally become pregnant. And then Mary, who becomes pregnant before marriage. They also have this close relationship with each other. And they have faith in what God has done and is doing within and through them. All we see is pure joy when Mary and Elizabeth come together. Elizabeth exclaims how blessed Mary is and the child that she carries. She even says how favored she is that the mother of her Lord would come and visit her. There is so much joy in this gathering that even John jumps in Elizabeth's womb. During our Wednesday midweek meditation worship services, which as a side note are on pause for the rest of the year for our Christmas downtown concert series, but we'll pick back up in January with our midweek meditations. And I highly suggest you come to them because during our time together in midweek, we join for music, communion, and for scripture reading, which we call Lectio Divina. And that's just a fancy word for um, divine reading. It's how we meditate on scripture and look for God to speak to us through it. We read the passage three times. And one of the things that we ask between rereading the scripture passage is that you listen for a word or a phrase that stands out to you that God might be speaking heavily to you. And when I was preparing this sermon, I was reading this huge passage over and over again. And there's a lot that I could have preached on this morning. But the phrase that really stood out to me came from verse 44. And it says, as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. On top of that, I like to read different translations when doing sermon preparations. And I got out my old Bible that I received when I was a teenager in the youth group. And I opened it up and I saw that younger Jacob years ago had decided to highlight this specific verse. And it stood out to me then and it's standing out to me now. So I really wanna focus on that joy that John displayed while still in the womb. Without the ability to physically see Christ the Messiah, the hope of all nations, John still became aware of his presence through the words of Mary's greeting and then reacted the only way that he knew how, jumping with joy. And I think something that John's reaction can teach us is that we don't have to see God working in the world or solving our or other people's problems before we can leap with joy. We don't have to understand what God is doing or even know his plans. Our joy is in the presence of God with us here and now. Our hope is in the fact that God is still at work in our lives and the entire world. The joy that we receive, which comes from recognizing the presence of Christ with us is God's Christmas gift to us. It is a joy that comes from a faith that appreciates God for working mercifully in our lives in ways that we can see and also ways that we can't see. No matter if we are suffering or if we are feeling on top of the world, we can learn to recognize Christ's presence with us and feel true and lasting joy. So then the question becomes, how do I recognize God's presence in my life? And I think the quick answer that a lot of us Christians would jump to is to say, well, that's easy. If I sit back and think about my life, I can think about all these times that God was at work doing things for me, working his good in my life uh, over the past years. And that's not bad. And I honestly love that answer because it's a testimony to God's goodness in our life. 
But more than that, God is not just working behind the scenes for us to recognize later on in life. And on the opposite end, God is not just waiting and holding on to his promises to fulfill in the future. God is more than all of that. The word became flesh to dwell among us. Paul said in Galatians chapter two, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, God wants a real and personal relationship with each and every one of us. And he wants to speak to us, to guide us, to transform us, and ultimately just to hold and love us. Scripture not only reveals God's deep desire to be in fellowship with us, but it also speaks to the hunger of the human soul for relationship with him. God always takes the initiative by his prevenient grace that goes before us and seeks to draw us into personal relationship with him. And at the core of this relationship is understanding the dynamics of knowing God. Since God has already revealed himself to us, we need to be alert to recognize God is indeed present and active in our world today. Something that has helped me tremendously in becoming more aware of God's presence in my life came from a friend that I made at seminary. Josh was one of the first friends that I ever made whenever I got to Kentucky. We worked out together, we played video games together, we ate together, we studied together. And during any one of those activities, he would randomly ask me, Jacob, what is something that God is speaking to you this week? What is God teaching you this week? And so I would have to sit and think and I'd be like, man, what did I read in scripture? Did I hear something profound in a lecture that the professor just really grabbed me with? Was there something in conversation in the halls that someone spoke their testimony and it really just like God spoke to me through that? And now you might be thinking, Jacob, you just said that God is not simply working behind the scenes for us to notice later on, which is true. But these random questions from Josh happened more and more frequently. And it got to the point where I truly got embarrassed when he would ask me and I'd have to sit there and be like, oh, hmm, let me think. Because it meant that I wasn't actively looking for God. So it got me to pay attention more and more throughout the week, which made me become more aware of God's presence in my life, his guidance, his transformation, his love in the midst of my day-to-day -day life because I started to look for it. And also while in seminary, I had to read this book called Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Barton. And in chapter seven, she talks about discernment on how to recognize and respond to the presence of God. In the opening of this chapter, she has this great quote from Ernest Larkin, which states, discernment in its fullest takes a practiced heart, fine-tuned to hear the word of God and the single-mindedness to follow that word in love. It is truly a gift from God, but not one dropped from the skies fully formed. It is a gift cultivated by a prayerful life and the search for self-knowledge. I really love this quote because it hits home for me. I'll be the first to admit that I don't always recognize the presence of God in my life. I get so uh, easily just weighed down by the busyness of a day and I let the stresses of the world just cloud my vision and I fail to see God working in the midst of all of it. So it truly is a gift and it is cultivated by a life of prayer 
and the search of self-knowledge and knowing fully whose I am. And Ruth goes on to say in this chapter that discernment is essentially a habit. It's a way of seeing that will eventually permeate our entire lives if we let it. It takes us from spiritual blindness where we don't see God at all. And if we do, we see him where we expect him to, like on a Sunday worship service. But discernment can take us to spiritual sight where we are finding God everywhere, especially in the places where we least expect to see him. And as the band comes back up, I wanna leave you with two things. One is a quote from Mother Teresa and one is a challenge. Mother Teresa was someone who lived a life focused on recognizing the presence of Jesus Christ in her life. She once said, I don't think that I have any special qualities. I don't claim anything for the work that I do. It's his work. I am like a little pencil in his hand. He does the thinking. He does the writing. The pencil has nothing to do with it. The pencil has only to allow itself to be used. She found pure joy in living a life in his presence and serving him. Without guidance, there is no writing. There is no work that is done. But in the presence of God, listening to him, being guided by him to be his hands and feet, that is when we, the pencil, get used to write out God's message to others. We then get used to draw God's beautiful art to display his goodness, his love, and his mercy. So the challenge I have for you today is to find someone to be an accountability partner and ask each other once a week, what is God speaking to you? Or what is God teaching you this week? That way you're both cultivating a lifestyle that is more and more aware of the presence of God with you each and every day. In doing so, you will begin to recognize and respond to God's promptings and stay connected to his larger purposes for your life. And what can bring more lifelong joy than attentiveness to the presence of Christ with us here and now? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. God, we don't need to know how you're moving and we don't have to understand your plans, but God, our joy is found in the presence of Christ with us. Like Paul said in Galatians, Christ lives in me. And God, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit to guide us, that you have given us to be transformed, to be more and more like Christ day to day, God. And Lord, help us to celebrate you and find that joy in the highs and the lows in life. Help us to live a life focused on you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit and to the glory of you, Father, we pray. Amen. In a moment, we're about to stand and sing. And if you feel prompted to give your life to Christ for the first time, or maybe you feel like you wanna make Marvin Methodist Church your home church, your family that you wanna worship with, or maybe you just need prayer, Mark and I will be down here at front to receive you in any capacity that you need. Thanks be to God. Amen.